scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 7, verses 31 to 35. Jesus says, To what then will I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. When I taught at the seminary, I used to tell my students in preaching class, there are four gospels and most preachers have one sermon. And both parts of that needed clarification. What I meant by four gospels was that there's variety. They don't do it the same way which meant that preachers didn't have to preach like their senior minister that they heard growing up. For example, in the Gospel of Luke where we are today, Jesus tells parables all the time. Early on in his journeys, some of them unique to Luke, they're everywhere. But the Gospel of John, where we were the last three weeks, not one parable. Variety. As for the one sermon, I didn't mean it literally, but metaphorically. The idea being that every preacher would have to find her own voice, her own style, her her one message that would kind of be her passion and her ministry. When I think about the gospel writers, I think about Mark, who came first, and, and he's got his own style. He decides not to tell the story of the birth of Jesus, He decides not to have the resurrected Jesus even appear. And then Matthew comes along, and he has a copy of Mark, and he uses a little bit of it, but then he he says, look, you can't have a gospel without the birth of Jesus and, and without him showing up resurrected, and so Matthew's is different. Or as Carla said about the Gospel of John a few weeks ago, if you could summarize it in one word, it would be life. It's in the Gospel of John that he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, or I've come that they might have life. That's his one sermon. If you had to figure out what Luke's one sermon was, if you had to summarize the Gospel in one word, what would it be? I think the clue is in the text that we read and in the window that we're looking at today. Over the past few weeks, we've had those videos up front at the beginning of the worship service that have testimonials about favorite windows. I'm told that the St. Cecilia window got the most votes. There may be a recount, in effect, I don't know. But I loved Jackie's testimonial last week. She was referencing the window in the chapel and the Christ's hands and how she could imagine herself in those hands. We've had all those videos, and I... I started wondering, what if we had recorded Luke out there on the lawn and asked him, so what's your favorite window? We could bring him inside, socially distanced, with a mask on. That would be good for the apostle, right? And we would say, so what do you think? And I'm pretty sure we would want to point him to these south windows where Luke has his own window. But here's my hunch. I think he would keep looking at the chancel window. I think this would be his favorite 
in part because there's the Christ with the right hand raised in benediction. Preachers have been copying it ever since. But it's his left hand. You see it? He's holding a loaf of bread. In fact, if you had to summarize the gospel of Luke in one word, I think it'd be bread or food or eating or something like that. I mean, if they'd put it up to us, we probably would have said he should hold scrolls in that hand. You know, maybe have Alpha and Omega on it or maybe the keys to the kingdom before he hands them over to Peter. But no, he's holding bread. And in fact, except for two side panels, the whole window is about bread. Across the bottom, three panels of the Last Supper. Only it turns out it wasn't the Last Supper. Because in the upper right is the story of Jesus eating with that couple back in their home in Emmaus. And he's still eating with us. And the Last Supper wasn't, of course, the first supper because Jesus was always eating. In the upper left panel, he's feeding the multitudes. Bread, bread, everywhere you look in the life of Jesus. That's why that scholar penned that line that we had there on the opening slide of this morning's worship. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either at a meal, going to a meal, or coming home from a meal. But it's not just that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus eats a lot. Luke has a foodie vocabulary. Here's the way I would explain it. If you happened into our house when the TV was on, if I had the remote, it's probably on the Golf Channel. This week is the Masters. But if my wife had the remote, it's probably on Food Network. And you know, they have all those cooking shows, and they use so many French terms, so much of a cooking vocabulary, like a sous chef, or mise en place, or saute, all of them French words. Well, Luke didn't know French, but he knew Greek. In fact, his Greek is the most sophisticated of all the writers of the New Testament, and he uses, get this, 45 different words for food and cooking and feasting. It's everywhere. This is the Food Network gospel. So it's no surprise that when you get to this passage, there's a reference to food. What's surprising is how it's framed. It's the distinction made between the ministry of Jesus and his cousin, John the baptizer. John is presented as an ascetic, which is just a fancy term for someone who lead, leads a monk-like life. He, he doesn't indulge in the finer things of life, especially food. You remember what he ate, right? Locusts? They weren't dipped in dark chocolate. Jesus, on the other hand, is presented as one who feasts. And the way the contrast comes about is with reference to a children's game. They didn't have Nintendo back then. You had to be creative. So sometimes kids played a game called Wedding. And if you played Wedding, there should be music and dancing. And other times they played Funeral. And if you were at a funeral, you pretended to be sad. The ministry of Jesus is presented by Luke as Wedding, as Feast. It's feasting on bread. 
But here's the real scandal of the text. It is not that Jesus eats a lot, glutton and drunkard, but with whom? Friend of sinners was meant as an insult, but I think he wore that moniker with pride. The very next story after this, he goes to the home of a man named Simon, who happens to be a Pharisee. We would say an elder or a deacon in the church. But the dinner's interrupted when a sinful woman enters. Sinful meaning she doesn't observe Jewish law. She's not keeping the law. And Jesus is comfortable in the presence of both. It's only in Luke's gospel that Jesus eats with Pharisees, but he welcomes everybody. He does not feel the need to choose between the two. And just this week, that thought haunted me. I was taken back immediately to something that still bothers me to this day. Freshman year in college, you've heard me tell it before, is when I came to faith. Before that, high school, college, my life was, it was about partying, drugs, a lot of drinking. Well, when I came to faith, this college group at the church, they took me in, and I remember telling them, oh my gosh, there's this great place in town that has some of the best nachos ever. We got to go there. And we loaded up and we went. And while we were waiting to get in, they saw this sign over the door. It said, spirits served here. Well, all my friends in high school and before I came to faith, they would have told you that just means there's beer and I hope there is because we're having nachos. But these church friends looked at that, looked at each other, and they saw nothing but evil, that there were evil spirits here. And the message that they sent my way was, you, you shouldn't be in a place like this and you shouldn't have friends who are in a place like this. And I took it to heart and I walked away from all my old friends. It was a big mistake. And it reminded me of a Craddock story. I, I've probably told you this one before, but like I said, preachers only have one sermon. Fred Craddock, in the very first church he served, he was still in Bible college, and it was out in a rural place, and just a few families, almost everybody was related, they would come on Sundays, but then some big construction project came into the area. Maybe it was building a dam or some such thing. And so, you know, not all of those people that were in construction were church going, but a lot of them were. And out of that sprung up mobile home camp, here they came, some of them, on church, on Sunday to church. And, and after church one Sunday, they had an elder meeting and the members of the board said to Fred, we got to do something about all these people coming to our church. And he said, I know it's wonderful, isn't it? And he said, no, no, no. I make a motion. Unless you're a longtime property owner in this county, you can't come to this church. And Fred spoke against it, and they reminded him he was a preacher boy, and it passed. And years, years later, Fred and his wife Nettie were in that part of the state, and they decided on a Sunday morning they'd see if they could find that old church. And they did. And the parking lot was full. Cars and trucks, motorcycles everywhere. And a sign that said, barbecue restaurant, all you can eat. And they were hungry, so they went in. Why not? What had been a pulpit was where the hostess stood. How many in your party? 
what had been a table with bread and wine now had sauces on it and pickles and onions. And you sat on a pew while they waited for them to call your name. And finally they were eating, and Fred looked around at all these people. And he said, you know, it's a good thing this isn't a church anymore, else all these people couldn't be here. Who belongs at the table of God? One of those shows that my wife watches, and I I really like this one, it's called Best Thing I Ever Ate. They have these celebrity chefs and food critics on, and there'll be a theme for the day. You know, like maybe it's dessert, and and for me, it's got to be this New York-style cheesecake I had at Eileen's in Manhattan. It's unbelievable. Or maybe they'll do something savory like Best Tacos, and for me, it's the street tacos at a little place called Taco Guild in Phoenix. That and their Mexican street corn. It's to die for or to live for. But here's the best part. Not just the food. It's in an old church. It's an old Methodist church that had gone under. But they didn't just... Well, they respected the place. They they respectfully repurposed it is what they call it. They, They kept the door to the church. You enter through it. They kept some, or or put some uh, shadow boxes on the wall with memorabilia and photos from the church. But best of all, they kept the windows, stained glass windows. And there's this one that says, now you are God's people. Now you are God's people. I love that image because on any day of the week, any night. The crowd is this incredible mix. Former hippies and hipsters, third graders and retired. It's Phoenix after all, gay and straight. I mean, you get the idea, this incredible diverse group. And here is this light shining through a window that says, now you are God's people. Just last week, I read this New Testament scholar who compares reading the gospels to looking through stained glass. And he does it so in two ways. He says, in some ways, yeah, you can see the story, whatever's being told, but you can see through a window. Not not clear because it's stained glass, but you, you know there's something back there. And for me, behind this chance of window is a world. All of those people, God's people, welcome at the table. The other way, he says, is it's kind of like a mirror, though. I mean, you don't see yourself clearly, but you can. I picture us standing in front of this Christ in the window. In his left hand, bread. But it's his right hand. It's the hand of blessing or benediction. And for every couple who has stood here, Christ is blessing them. And for every funeral... Christ blessing those who mourn. And every Sunday, in this room or on tape, Christ blessing us. But I have to be honest with you. The more I've looked at that hand, it's not raised in benediction. And (laughs) I hope this doesn't offend you. It almost looks to me like he's waving waving us and welcoming us to the party of God. 
and all are welcome.